The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you all evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood. In the blood of the Lamb. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's time. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood. In the blood of the Lamb. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Since things are lost in its life-giving flow, there's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood. In the blood of the land, there is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the land. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily His praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the blood. In the blood of the Lamb. There is power, there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. There is wonderful power in the blood of Jesus. That blood is shed for you. Let's come to the scriptures. Lord, as we come to open your word today, I ask for the power and the presence of your hope to make plain these words, that the veil of any deceit, of any lying spirit, would be lifted from our hearts, that we could see and understand and know your mercy and know your love and respond Lord, please, without your Holy Spirit, we have hearts hardened by sin, by arrogance, by bitterness, by hurt. Lord, would you come? In your mighty power, would you come? And would you open these things, these precious things of your word, would you open them to us? Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. When we read the Gospels of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, and we begin with Matthew, the tax collector, he wrote a Gospel called After His Name. And his primary focus was to teach the Jewish people about this wonderful Messiah. Now, it's a gospel for the whole world. 
but it focuses on issues that Jewish people would have. You come to Mark, and he's a young man. Probably Peter is helping him to write it. And Mark emphasizes not the teachings of Jesus, but the power of Jesus. It's a very fast-moving book. It's Action City. And then you come to Luke. He very methodically tries to lay out the sequential events of Jesus' life for a Gentile. So Luke is written for a Gentile. It's written for the world. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When we come to John, John is a very different book. John is uncovering the depth of both Jesus' life, atonement, and teachings. It says when he writes, after Jesus handed Judas the bread he had dipped, identifying the traitor, Jesus said, now go and do what you have to do quickly. And he got up and left. And it says Satan entered him. But it says one other thing that's very interesting. It says, and it was dark. Well, it may have been night outside. But Jesus knew his heart had turned dark. And John is identifying that fact that Satan has entered him and his his world is entirely dark and he will end up committing suicide. When we come to John, the third chapter, it's a story I've continually been drawn back to. It's about a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus means victor or conqueror. The scripture tells us, John tells us, he came to Jesus at night. That's a very significant clue. He's coming in the dark because his heart is dark. He comes respectfully. He is a man of integrity. He prays three times a day. He fasts at least one day a week. He observes all of the monthly and annual sacrifices. He keeps the law. He meditates on it. He is a very wealthy, successful businessman. He has contracts with Rome, extra-biblical sources tell us, with tin mines in Europe. And he is extremely wealthy. He has watched as this teacher has arisen in Israel. He doesn't quite know what to make of him. And so he comes to Jesus at night to interview him to see if he can perceive who this man is. He comes with kind words on his lips. He does not come condemning, as we often associate Pharisees with, Instead, he comes with dignity to Jesus. And he says, Rabbi. Well, he knew Jesus was not a rabbi. But he knew Jesus was performing incredible miracles. And so how to account for the miracles that Jesus is doing? So he calls him, the honorary title, Rabbi. Even though Jesus had never been to the rabbinical schools or graduated from the University of 
Jerusalem. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. That was as high an honor as Nicodemus could possibly have paid to Jesus. We know you are a teacher, a rabbi, and we know that the only way you could be performing these incredible miracles, these signs, is if God were with you. Now, what is a sign? A sign points to something. It gives us directions, points on the highway, and we know that that's the way to Washington, D.C., or that's the way to to Baltimore or to Richmond. We look at the signs. Nicodemus was looking at the signs. Remember when Jesus went to Cana of Galilee, the scriptures say this was the first of the great signs. Well, where was the sign pointing? To Jesus as Messiah. But Nicodemus has not yet arrived at the place where he can say Jesus is the Messiah. He would say that at a later date. Jesus responds to him in a way that seems quite abrupt. But you need to remember that Jesus is not here to improve the human heart. Jesus is not coming and sitting with Nicodemus and talking with him at night to do psychotherapy. He's not there to walk with Nicodemus on a journey of self-enlightenment or self-discovery. That's not what Jesus is here for. Jesus has come that a man could take up his cross and follow him from death to life. And so Jesus answers him, I tell you the truth. Now this is a a way of saying, I'm going to tell you something that is absolutely correct. You need to pay attention to it. I tell you the truth, he says. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. So he's saying to this very well-educated Pharisee, very sophisticated businessman, he's saying there is no way for you to get from where you are with all of your knowledge, with all of your wealth, with all of your insight and understanding, there's no way for you to get from that place to the kingdom of God. There's no gate there. There's no entrance there for you. You have to be born from above. To be born from above requires divine intervention. It requires that God come and do something for you. You cannot be born from above by your own will. Remember the very beginning of the book. This is John 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, children born not of natural descent. Nicodemus could not, through self-improvement, through psychotherapy, Nicodemus could not, through striving, And I have to stop just a moment and tell you, I was crying out to the Lord last night. And he said to me, very quietly in my spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God through striving. It struck me like a bolt of lightning. There is no door from where you are into heaven except by way of this man, Jesus Christ. And he must grant you the right of passage or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot buy good works. Nicodemus had all of the good works. You could not by great understanding. He had wonderful understanding. You cannot by having a great deal of money. He had all the money. And Jesus said to him, you have to be born from above. In other words, there's something you can't do for yourself. God has to do it for you. Now, if God doesn't do something for Nicodemus, he will perish in his wealth, wisdom, sophistication. He will die. You will die in your sophistication and your religiosity. You can fast one day a week. You can pay tithes and offerings. You can go and do all kinds of wonderful work at the church. But you will die if you are not born from above. A divine intervention in your life. The Holy Spirit has to come and meet you. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. born of God. So Nicodemus, he doesn't know what to say. So he says, how can a man be born when he's old? How can I start over, Jesus? I can't start over. I've lived my life How can I start over? I can't start over. I'm too tired to start over. I'm too old to start over. Look at all the accomplishments I have. I've gained the respect of a nation. I sit on the Sanhedrin. I've done these many wonderful things for people. I've been generous with my alms. I've funded the religion work of our day. What do you mean I have to start over? I can't start over. I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too sick. I can't start over. Jesus answers. I tell you the truth. Wow, this is a a straight-on conversation. He's not holding back. He's not covering. He's not playing games. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. So Jesus is saying, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, we're men and women 
in our natural life of flesh. And we try as hard as we can. We do all that we can. But there's no door to heaven from this flesh. There has to be a total change. And this is an incredible struggle. We have to be born of water, which means we have to be scrubbed and washed clean. Psalm 51, where David, in fact, maybe I ought to just very quickly turn to it. Let me go to it. I hadn't planned to do it. I had it marked and then I took the mark out. But I think it's worth it. Psalm 51. This is a psalm by King David after Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, Have mercy on me, literally in the Hebrew, in the words, express your affection, your love, by moaning over me, God. By moaning over me, God. Bend over me like a baby who's sick and moan for me. Be deeply touched for me, O God. According to your unfailing love. That is, be disposed to do something for me, God. Don't leave me like I am. Change me. According to your great compassion, That is tender pity that will do anything at any time to take care of one loved. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquities. Literally in the Hebrew, he's saying, put me in the wash tub and get in with your feet and stomp on me. They didn't have washing machines with agitators, they had their bare feet. So wash me again. Trample on me in the water and the soap. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Make me bright and holy. Make me innocent, O God. So we come to Nicodemus. He's being told you have to be washed in the water. You've got to be willing to be put in the wash tub and stomped on till you're bright and clean. And you have to be born of the Holy Spirit. You have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, look, after you come into the cleansing of being stomped on in the water and you're bright and clean and you're born in the spirit people who walk in the flesh won't even begin to understand who you are or what you're about you'll be totally different your point of reference will be totally different now heaven and the lord god of heaven is your point of reference you no longer reference the world to judge 
how you should behave or what you should say or where you should go. You're a different person. And all Nicodemus can answer is, how can this be? It is against everything he's been taught from childhood. He was taught from childhood that if he kept his religion and his law, he would have a place with God. And now Jesus is coming and saying, now you're going to have to change, Nicodemus. You're going to have to do something new. I go back here to Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 30. Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Repent, America. Repent, church. Repent, sinner. It means to turn to God and away from the works of darkness. Turn away from all of your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart. How do you get a new heart? By being born from above. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Get a new heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, be scrubbed clean. Get a new heart. Submit to being cleansed. Now, I want to talk about something I don't know how to talk about. My experience, and this has happened to me time after time after time, Somehow, evil begins to rise up in the heart of a follower of Jesus. Something is said that offends their their sensibility. Something is done that they judge and make accusations about. And evil begins to rise in their heart. A temptation comes from the devil. And it perfectly matches that temptation with that part of their heart that itches. And evil begins to rise in the heart. I've watched a person who has walked for a number of years clean before God suddenly stumble and fall, cutting off with bitterness and anger, self-righteousness. Evil rose up in their heart. That's happened to me. Evil has risen up in my heart. How am I to deal with it? I'm not saying now it has, but many times in the past it has. It happens to all of us. Evil rises up in our hearts. We're offended by what someone says to us. We're offended because of of its going against our sensibilities. It violates something within our heart. And we become angry, enraged, 
self-righteous. We become the Pharisee who has done everything possible in the physical realm to walk with Jesus. And then suddenly, this evil thing begins to rise up in our heart. And we say, I'm right, you're wrong. Do it my way. And we break relationships. I've seen marriages break over such foolish things. I've seen friendships break. I've seen families divided. I've seen churches broken in two. I've seen pastors condemned I've seen pastors ostracized and kicked out. Evil rises up. Now all of us will have that time. Remember the devil said to Jesus, I will come at a more opportune time. The devil will come. And he'll bring his evil intent to destroy, to break, to devour. I played that song today. At the very beginning, there's power in the blood. Well, what is that power for? That power is for the breaking of the evil that the devil would try to come and speak into our hearts and into our minds and into our bodies, causing us to lust, causing us suddenly to just shut down every sensibility and to go to that pornography, or shut down that righteousness that God has been raising in our hearts and go with that wicked woman who is tempting or that evil man who is seducing or that business opportunity that seems so righteous and so good where we can have wonderful income. Sometimes it comes as a very clearly evil intent. Sometimes it comes as an angel of light. The devil comes as an angel of light almost or much of the time. There is no entrance into the kingdom of heaven from the flesh. The flesh cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we don't enter the kingdom of God by being self-righteous by being judgmental, or by feeding the lust of our heart. We enter the kingdom of God through humble repentance, submitting unto the word of the Lord. Romans, the sixth chapter. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but 
the life he lives, he lives to God. So in the same way, count yourselves. Do inventory. That's what the word count means. It means inventory your life and make certain you're dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Now it's of interest to me that the conversation with Nicodemus doesn't really have an ending. The next word is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Look, Jesus is the door of hope in the valley of trouble. Jesus is the door of hope And we enter that door by being washed, repenting, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. That word believe includes the the cleansing, the washing, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. I'm telling you today, run into the light that All of your heart can be exposed to Jesus. Run to the light. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be very plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. Now that brings us in the last minutes of this broadcast to the very tough question. Will you consent to have all evil removed from your heart? Can you look back and see there were times when you were evil? That now you wish you had not cut that person off. Then make restitution. Go and make it right. You know there were times when you were not fair with someone. Go and make it right. I talked last evening with our dear sister, Leslie. Leslie uh, speaks Spanish and she struggles with English. She's a a petite little woman who loves Jesus with all of her heart. She's listening right now, I know. I treasure her. This is her 21st day of fasting. The Lord called her to a 40-day fast, and she agreed to do a 40-day fast, although she's already thin as a rail. She called me last night. She said, I'm strong in the spirit, but I have to rest a lot. 
She's eating, by God's direction, one small meal a day. And the rest of the time she's spending in in prayer and scripture, meditation, waiting on the Lord. And she was given a very clear message. It was in bright letters. She was to command America, repent. America, repent. So she shared that with me, and I have said that on the air. But she said, Pastor, I don't understand what this means. But I was meditating, and this kept coming to me from Jesus. I said, what was it? She said, he said, I am looking. And I couldn't understand the last word. So she said it again. I still couldn't understand it. Her English was such I couldn't understand. She said, I'm really tired, Pastor. Let me rest a little bit. And I'll call you back. Thank you. Please, I want to hear. And she said, I'm going to I'm going to write it down and I'm going to spell it for you so that you will know. And so she called me back in a little bit. And I said, Let me get paper and pencil. I'm going to write this down. She began to spell it out very carefully. The message was, I am looking for tabernacles. I am looking for tabernacles. Well, I hadn't heard that word for many years. I know what tabernacle means. It means a place where God dwells and where we meet him. I was overjoyed by that message. I want to be a tabernacle. I volunteer Jesus to be a tabernacle. He said to her, I'm looking, I'm looking for tabernacles. You cannot be a tabernacle with evil rising in your heart. You have to be filled with the Spirit. You cannot be a tabernacle and be filled with the world with the world's entertainment, with the world's activities. You're going to have to come apart. You're not going to be a tabernacle if you get in the car and turn on the radio. If you sit and watch television. If you're on your cell phone all the time. If you're you're looking at videos constantly, you can't be a tabernacle. The presence of God will not come to one who is absorbed in the world, the flesh, and the devil. Or in religion. He comes to a people. We'll say, I'm yours, Lord. And I've left the world. There's nothing here for me anymore. And she said something else to me that was very interesting. She said, as I walk down the street, I don't think I belong here anymore. I said, dear sister, you're right. We're aliens and we're strangers on this earth. Our home is with Jesus. Our home is in heaven. Our home is where our heart is. And our heart is with Jesus. Now, I want to come back and just 
please press you just a bit. Will you right now make a determination in your heart that you will let Jesus do the work of absolutely cleansing you and baptizing you in the Holy Spirit? Will you give up your attitudes, your thoughts of evil? Would you would you give up your sin and your ways? Will you make restitution to those you've wronged? If you owe money, will you give them back their money? If you owe love, will you give back love? Will you give what you have withheld in compassion and care? Will you take that action now? Will you do it now? The Lord is looking for tabernacles. But when evil rises in your heart, you drive Jesus from his temple. And then all you're left with is religion. And there are some of you listening today who are just wonderful, wonderful people. Integrity, wisdom, hard work, but it's all flesh. You've never really humbled your heart before God and said, Lord, Lord, come and deal with my heart. Now, I was very tired this morning. It was a very short night for me. And sometimes... I'll lay down again and just rest in my prayer chair in my study. I did that this morning. And immediately I was in a dream. And in the dream, a prophet spoke to me and told me, This is when revival comes. And I said to them, Are you asking me if I think that's when revival comes, or are you telling me that's when revival comes? And again, the prophet said, This is when revival comes. I'm not going to identify the prophet or when because I'm not a prophet. But very soon, the Lord is going to bring about some events in America that will shake us to the core. And revival will come. And the question that I have for you Are you ready? You remember what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Right now, the condition of the church, half might perish if the Holy Spirit came in real power, like in the New Testament church. Maybe more than half would perish because we have lied to God. We need to get ready for revival. 
Will you go before the Lord and let him search your heart? And will you quickly obey whatever he directs you to do? Or to whomever he directs you to go? Will you get right with Jesus? Will you do it today? Will you do it now? I know the Holy Spirit is striving with some of you. I sense it in my spirit. I say these things to you because I love you. And the only reason I come on this broadcast, the only purpose for which I come, is to secure the salvation of your soul. And to walk together with brothers and sisters who have made that commitment to Jesus and who are fully sold out. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared, mind, body, and soul, to give everything we have for the final great call of God to this earth. Because Jesus is coming. Well, we're almost out of time. I want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would take away the offense of our hearts. That you would show us how we have sinned against a brother or a sister in thought or deed or word. I pray that you will show us the ways in which we walk that are displeasing to you. That you would put such an urgency in our hearts to prepare for the coming of Holy Spirit fire. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to thank those of you who have been writing wonderful, encouraging notes to me. I treasure them. I will begin now, hopefully, trying to get thank you notes out to many of you. You have given with such kindness. Thank you. I'd like to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If you're on YouTube today, would you subscribe to our channel? And would you go on quickly and give us your name and where you're listening from? You can also give online. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com All that you give will go to pay for the broadcast ministry. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.